Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 63. Today, we're going to feature an interview with Julio Gonzalez. Now, as far as I know, there's no relation between Julio and I, but we do share the great Gonzalez last name. I've also known Julio about five years. He's the CEO of Engineered Tax Services, an organization company, I should say, that he founded and uh, many years ago. And uh, he basically helps businesses thrive by helping them navigate through the many tax codes that are found here in the United States, whether that's at the federal level, state level, local level. He helps them navigate, learn how to save money on taxes, how to uh, you know find tax credits, all sorts of things. So he's constantly um, you know helping businesses do these things. And by doing that, he helps those businesses thrive while as well helping his own business thrive. He's made a business out of it. So he's got he does business nationally and he's got employees and offices in many states. And one of the other things Julio does, because he thrives so well, but part of uh, his entrepreneurial activity is not just as his business, but also philanthropically. He's really invested a lot in his own community and in many philanthropic projects around the country. So we're going to hear a little bit about what he's doing. And one of those philanthropic projects actually helps other entrepreneurs as well. So we'll hear a little bit about that. And Julio's business and his philanthropic activity has also been noticed by policymakers, including President Trump and the U.S. Congress, who called on Julio for advisement on when they were sorting through what to do with tax reform. So Julio uh, was in D.C. a lot uh, during that year when Congress and the president were looking at how to push through tax reform. So we are going to uh, talk to Julio about some of the things uh and people and conversations he had about, uh, you know, how he was called upon for the tax reform at the public policy level as well. So, man, he's doing a lot, running a business, investing in his community philanthropically, and advising the president and Congress on tax reform. That's what happens when you become an expert in what he's doing. And so uh, we're going to hear from Julio and, uh, you can also go back and listen to many other podcasts. I mentioned Matt Brown, episode 57. We also had people like Joe Russo and the gals from Elizabeth Avenue Station who were in downtown West Palm Beach as well. And I'll sus- I suspect we'll probably be back downtown West Palm Beach for more uh, interviews with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. I mean, I love downtown West Palm Beach. It's beautiful. It's always getting better every time I go down there. And uh, we're just, we're probably going to be back because I love it. Now, while I was downtown West Palm Beach, and by the way, you notice how I keep saying downtown to call your attention to the song at the end of this podcast, Downtown by Matt Brown. Uh, Well, while I was in downtown West Palm Beach, uh, there was a massive thunderstorm that was hitting while I was interviewing Julio. You are going to hear lots of thunder in the background. Don't worry, we were inside, I think on like the fourth or fifth floor, but there were these big windows. We were seeing lightning strikes hitting all around. It was a beautiful day when I walked into this office. And like 10 minutes later, like anything in South Florida, 
just wait 10 minutes, the weather will change. This massive thunderstorm just rolled through, and I've seen a lot of thunderstorms in my lifetime, but this was one of the crazier ones. And I'm glad I wasn't outside. I also would have been drenched outside because it was pouring. Um, and I want to thank my, sh- my friend um, Michelle Vandervelden, who helped set the interview up. She sat in on the interview, and you might even hear a little bit of her laughter in the background somewhere along the way here because the lightning strikes we were seeing and the thunder and trying to like not be so distracted by it and also feeling a little jumpy, like, are we going to get hit here? Um, so it was, uh, it was a fun interview, a uh, fun background. Um, thank you to Mother Nature for providing the soundtrack for the Agents of Innovation podcast today. So I want to let you sit back, relax, and hear about what we're going to do about those taxes. Well, I want to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, my good friend Julio Gonzalez here. I'm sitting in his office on a spooky uh, afternoon, thunder rolling uh, in downtown West Palm Beach. Can you hear that? Uh, Julio, thanks for welcoming me here. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you're here in town. A couple of Gonzalez's together. Yeah, and I should tell the audience there's no relation here, at least not that we know of. Maybe it goes back a few we generations. We were both born in Miami, both Gonzalez's. Um, so Julio, thanks for welcoming me here. Julio is the founder and CEO of Engineered Tax Services. Uh, Julio, let's talk a little bit about um, about what you guys do, but also how you got to this point. Where, where did you? I know you were uh, you were born in Miami, uh, uh, grew up there. I know you went to University of Colorado um, out in Boulder, beautiful place. Um, but tell me how you got into this uh, industry, and then where that led to you, you to starting Engineered Tax Services. Good question. I, gosh, I'm so old now. I got to try to remember back to those times, right? But you know, I was always in tax coming out of college, and we were always doing some type of tax work. You know, where I was in a big corporation, and we were doing certain types, especially tax work for the Fortune 500 public companies. And ultimately, you know, I thought that that kind of tax credits that help create jobs and promote you know, wealth and uh, help the economy here in the United States should have, that, that all people should have access to that, not the Fortune 500 companies. So really my goal when I started the company was let's take this tax benefit that's really available to the Fortune 500, let's bring it to mainstream USA. And uh, so with that, I started the company by myself, you know, still the only shareholder, but today we're 100 plus people and we work with CPA firms, manufacturing firms, real estate firms across the country, providing these specialty tax credits that, again, back in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, only the uh, big, big companies had access to. So I'm proud that we created that access to mainstream USA, and I'm glad that that benefits the country every day by using these tax credits to create jobs and grow employment and grow the economy. And so it's it's been a it's been a great ride. So I'm sorry, what, when did you start that company again? Well, you know, I started the company just over 20 years ago. Wow. And now you have over 100 employees. Um, did you start it here in West Palm Beach? I did. All right. That so we're here fun. at the headquarters, and I know you have a lot of staff here, but you also have staff in a lot of other places too, right? Yeah, we're in 22 states, but we do work in every state in the country. And uh, so we do tax credits that are involved in real estate, 
involved in manufacturing that acquire engineers, scientists. So it's a real niche service. That's why you know most CPA firms didn't have access to that type of staff. They didn't have engineers. They didn't have scientists that they could hire to do these tax credits. You know, it just didn't work. And so our goal was to be that solution to CPA firms countrywide. And we work with several thousand CPA firms. And, uh, you know, we <laughs> try to avoid the lightning here, right? But, um, you know, we enjoy working with them. And we're glad that we can get these tax credits to everyone across the country. That You don't have to be a Fortune 500 company anymore to get these. And I would say we generate about $2 billion a month in credits. And uh, I hope that through those efforts, we create a lot of new jobs, keep jobs here in the United States, and uh, help the economy grow. Well, that's fantastic. And so give me like an example. I know, I know you kind of broadly gave some examples, but um, of say like, you know, maybe you don't have to name the specific company or anything like that, but uh, how you might have helped somebody um, kind of like walking through, like maybe there's a, a business person, a small business person right now listening to this and wondering how could I use Julio's, you know, services? How do you, how would you help them find um, some, some sort of tax credits uh, to help them? Yeah, I mean, basically there's labor refunds and so wage refunds for companies when they employ USA citizens in USA jobs that create innovation so basically it's to create jobs but keep jobs here and so we have to be competitive globally Mm -hmm. and as you see a lot of fortune 500 companies you know do and take jobs overseas to Ireland to England to Australia Europe Canada because of certain tax credits. And these tax credits, manufacturing tax credits, R&D tax credits, are set, they were set in 1981 by the United States to keep the jobs here. Uh, back then, the only one that had access to them were the IBMs of the world mm. that could employ and hire a big eight accounting firm to do these tax credits. But our goal was to say, hey, everyone deserves these. Everyone deserves to, you know, have these credits that ultimately can be up to 20% refund of the labor they expend to create a product or a service here in the United States. Well, that's great. Um, so it's, it's good you're, you're providing that access, and then you've also found him a way to, uh, to help this company grow as well. Uh, so, Julio, I also know um, that you do, uh, you're very involved in your community. Um, you're very involved philanthropically around the country in different ways as well. Um, I know that you started this organization called Entrepreneurs Frontier, and we're all about entrepreneurs here on the Agents of Innovation podcast. So tell me a little bit about uh, what you do there and, um, and how, you, how you're supporting that work. Yeah, I think my goal there, um, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, I wasn't, didn't learn how to be an entrepreneur in college and, you know, learned to really go work for a firm. And then ultimately, when I started my own company, which is now we're you know, 20 years plus, right? You know, over those 20 years, anyone that started a company learns a lot of things, good and bad, on the road to success. And uh, I started Entrepreneurs Frontier to really help people that are starting their companies and, you know, get my friends together, my peers together, and help them understand, you know, what to do to better, you know, get to success and what to expect in terms of roadblocks and how to avoid those roadblocks. Again, a lot of entrepreneurs out there have a great idea and you know 
have early success, but then it, there's a lot of challenges along the way. And we try to help them predict what those challenges are, try to help them, you know, map it out so that they mitigate any of those things and help them through our relationships have better success quicker. Good. Um, and so, uh, is that is the Entrepreneurs Frontier, Frontier basically a nonprofit, or, or what is what is it exactly? Complete nonprofit. I fund it myself. I bring in other CEOs that I'm friends with, and we donate our time. And we only ask that the uh, people we help pay it forward. So hopefully, we give them a lot of great knowledge. Sometimes we help them raise capital, um, but we help them really, you know, get a map for success and shortcut, you know, all the obstacles that come in the way. And uh, so, yeah, and it's, you know, self-funded by me. Well, that's great. Um, and and do you, um, ha- like, is that for people here in um, South Florida? Is it bro- more broad? How, how does uh, someone who's maybe an, a, an up-and-coming entrepreneur uh, get engaged with it? Yeah, we, we take anyone. So, you know, they hear about us through... Uh, social media or you know through other channels and uh, you know basically if they have something that we can help them with you know we uh, we take on the challenge and uh, you know we have a gentleman that um, from South Florida as well Francisco that uh, um, started a rock band coming out of the ghettos in Miami Mm. and uh, made it to the very top and then Lost his drummer to um, drug overdose. Guitar player shot, murdered. Wow. He became the singer. Became drug and alcohol addiction. He's been uh, drug free for three and a half years. He wants to get back to the top where he was at one time. You know, headlining for Leonard Skinner of the world and things of that nature. And uh, but he just. Times have changed. He doesn't know the industry anymore, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't know how to get back on top. But he certainly is a great musician and composer. So, you know, we put our team together to build a website for him and uh, get him out in terms of, you know, our relationships in Nashville and throughout the country, and you know, uh, get him exposed out there to social media, which wasn't around when he was successful. So, you know, that's just kind of one story that. We're helping. We're helping a lady that decided that she wants to run for Congress and represent her state, and uh, they just didn't know how to do it. So we helped her with some of the initial education. We helped build a website for her. I mean, these are kind of outside the box. We have a lady that's come to us and wants to do carbon tree services for the United States. So we're helping her with those ideas. And uh, so we're, we're getting exposed to all kinds of things, but having a lot of fun through it. Good, good. Well, that's exciting. And it's great that you're able to um, to help others um, pave their ways as, as you, you know, from things you've learned as well. Um, and I think that's, that's really great. I also know philanthropically, uh, you've gotten involved, um, like I said, you're involved in so many things, but I particularly took notice of what you're doing at uh, Roosevelt Elementary School here in West Palm Beach. Tell us a little bit about um, why and how you got involved with that project and what it's and, and what it's all about. Yeah, well, you know, I was sitting in my office watching news and it came on the headline, Sandy Hook, and we kind of watched that as a company that day mm-hmm. and uh, we were all just devastated. And this is the, yeah, the Sandy Hook shoot, school shooting? 
up in Connecticut. In Connecticut, yeah. yeah. We were just all devastated. And, you know, I looked to my assistant and said, gosh, you know, we, we've got to do something. You know, I can't see this on TV anymore. And, um, you know, so I asked him to uh, get a ticket, go up there, try to see how they could he could help the community. And uh, he called up there and they uh, suggested that the best thing we could do was help a local school. And so, you know, we reached out to uh, Roosevelt, which was 98% poverty. And uh, they asked us to uh, help by just getting the children supplies of uh, underwear and socks. And so that was our first task. And then we uh, made it our mission to get out there and read to them monthly and adopt second graders. And so it started out a few of us, and then uh, now we're over 50 people that go out there on a monthly basis. And uh, it's an amazing experience. We've also you know, donated a couple of murals that we've painted on the school walls, on the outside of the school walls to you know, inspire the children for innovation and entrepreneurship. And you know, a lot of these kids don't know their families, don't know their parents. Um, I understand it's a school with very high poverty rates. So high, you know, but the, the children don't know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're just wonderful children, and, you know, they just want that support, they want that friendship, and uh, gosh, I mean, it's, uh, it's an amazing experience to uh, go out and, you know, hopefully people listening, hopefully they can do something in their local communities with their local schools. Um, and how did you, when you, did you just contact Roosevelt or did you contact the school district or how did you, how, how would somebody go about doing that if you wanted to help a local school? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> and that's the, uh, the, the sounds and, uh, uh, and the sights that we're seeing here in downtown West Palm Beach uh, on a summer, Florida summer afternoon. It'll all, it was, by the way, it was a super beautiful day when I walked in here 35 minutes ago. Um, and it will be a super beautiful day when I walk out of here in 35 minutes. Uh, There's no doubt. This is just what we experience here in Florida. It's like the rockiness of the entrepreneurial experience sometimes. I like it's that. Not all, it's not all sunshine, but it's, it's, uh, sometimes you just got to get through the storm. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. That's a good comparison. Well, I agree, and I think that, um, you know, I think they should reach out to their local uh, school communities. And we were referred by the county to the school that had the most poverty. And, uh, and it's been a wonderful relationship. We, we continue to go. We've had famous authors from across the country that write children's books that wow. donated over thousands of books to, um, to the children. And uh, we have companies now that donate computers. These teachers pay for the supplies with their minimalist salaries and yeah. so we're helping them with that as well it really is amazing when you see teachers do that um you know we all um, hear about teachers aren't paid high enough things like that but that they care so much many of these teachers about the students in the school that they're even willing to put in some of their own financial support so uh, they do it every day yeah uh boy this uh mm-hmm. this storm's getting close julio uh, <laughs> um well, Julio, I also know um, you, uh, about five years ago or so, set up a, a Gonzalez family office. Um, tell us a little bit about more about what uh, you do. I know there's a, a, a network of family offices around the country um, that are involved in, in many things. Tell, tell me what, what you did with, with that. Yeah, I mean, Gonzalez family office, really, it's, 
you know, our firm, that family firm that manages our capital. And so, you know, we obviously have the investment of our company, but we invest in real estate. Um, but, you know, through our family office, we also look at venture capital, private equity. On the venture capital side, we're looking for investing in cancer startups and, uh, you know, things that can help you know, save lives wow. and, and help with that. And on the private equity side, we're looking at things like the impossible burgers and investing in stock pre-IPO. And uh, so, you know, there's a community of families out there. We're sharing ideas, concepts, things that we can invest in that have social impact, but uh, also have a return. And uh, so it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, so tell me a little bit about um, what's it been like when you started, you, you, like you said, you had a few people, um, really, it was, it was you as, as the sort of a talent at the beginning uh, in this business. Um, but now you have a hundred people plus. Uh, what is how is your uh, time uh, and your uh, resources and and everything you do? How has that evolved as CEO of the company? What what do you spend a lot of your time on, and and what do other people here uh, kind of do uh, with their time as well? Yeah, well, I think that uh, you know we have a gr- we have a great team. We have great employees. Great consultants, people that we work with across the country, and, you know, we're really dedicated to making sure that these companies across the country preserve wealth and grow jobs through these tax credits. So for us, it's a big education process in making and creating awareness of these tax benefits, because I would say that very few people uh, are aware of that. You know, I also spend time in D.C. working on tax, tax reform, and advising to the Senate and Congress on good tax policy. So uh, I spent a lot of time doing that as well. And then, of course, we have our you know, foundations and charities. But, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, we have such a great country. And our goal really is to, through what we do, through our foundation, through our companies, and through our work and efforts in D.C., is to you know, make this country better every day. Well, great. Sounds like you've done a lot of that on uh, from from your business perspective. Just your business seeks to help out other business people through finding a lot of these tax credits and applying them correctly to their business. Uh, not just like you mentioned the big Fortune 500 companies, but also sort of the smaller mom and pops and the small businesses that really are the engine of the country. So that's great. And I've also seen you, as you just uh, mentioned. Um, be consul- you've been uh, a consultant and advisor um, to people in our government, the president, um, Congress, uh, on when when uh, with, for tax reform. I know there was a big tax reform that passed. What was that in 2017? Mm-hmm. Uh, near the end, um, I saw you uh, checking in in D.C. quite a bit. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, that process, how you were kind of tapped, and 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 what um, you know what things you can talk about at least. Uh, that, that, that you were involved with and, and how what what sorts of advice did you did you offer? Yeah, well, you know, fortunately, I was asked by the administration to be part of this private tax group that worked with Congress, worked with Senate to help get tax reform passed, and that's you know the stars have to align because last time we did it was '86, right? So yeah. every thirty years we uh, get a chance where the stars align and we get to you know, change tax code. And I think there, the real uh, 
importance was getting our tax rates down so that we could be more competitive globally and we would uh, continue to keep businesses here but attract new business from global markets. And so we, uh, the big thing was how do we get our corporate tax rate from 35% to 21% and what do we have to do to uh, impact other changes to basically model it so that we would uh, generate more money to Treasury. So it's no easy thing. You have a lot of people out there lobbying to not be cut. So if you're going to take the tax rate down, you've got to make cuts in other tax benefits. And, and that's really the goal is how do you do that, get people to agree to it, get people to vote on it, and get it passed. And so we worked on that. We got it passed. We got our rates, corporate rates down to 21%. We got the individual rates down slightly as well. And I think the, uh, you know, people can argue about whether it's been beneficial or not, but I think if you look at employment rates, I mean, it's hard to argue that our employment rates are low, economy is good. I mean, you travel a lot throughout the world, and, and so do I, and it's the first time I've traveled in my lifetime where the exchange rate has been pretty favorable for the U.S., and our U.S. currency is pretty strong. Yes. Uh, and uh, much stronger in the you know, globally. So I think that you can see that it's clearly working, and you know, so I'm proud of that, that you know, I got to contribute in that way. So um, obviously the politicians are all politicianing. The lobbyists are all lobbying save this job, save this program or save this tax benefit or whatever. Um, you're, my understanding, you're probably coming in more as an advisor from the business community um, when, and somebody who has actually worked what you do in business is actually taxes, right? You, you understand that. So um, where was your role? Was it more of a, like a policy uh, type of a role? Um, was it a lobbying uh, kind of to any, to people in Congress or what was kind of your role more in that process? Yeah, well, you know, I think most people in Congress and Senate are not tax professionals. They haven't run companies. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily know the tax code that well. So, you know, our goal was really to educate them because I think when you want to go to a 21% tax rate, you have to look at a lot of ways to cut other taxes. And um, But when you change something, you know, you have unintended consequences and, you know, you have to understand what that is. And we experienced in the 80s where we changed the tax code. We had some great things, but we had some very bad things that happened from those changes when subsequently we had the SNL crisis for 15 years because we made bad tax law. So we don't, we want to learn from those experiences, right? Because if you do something every 30 years, you're probably not an expert at it, especially Congress and Senate that don't have tax experience. So, yeah, it was really, uh, okay, we want to get to a lower tax rate, but we got to make these changes. Let's not make any changes that make big mistakes. Let's avoid that. Let's avoid any of those things. And really, so when they came up with a plan, we had to say, you know, really, my conversations were with, you know, Ryan and Brady, who were writing the tax law and, uh, you know, telling them why these changes would be good or these changes would be bad. And then ultimately, you know, telling the Ways and Means Committee and then Senate Finance Committee, because that's where it all happens. And ultimately, you know, it came down to the end, like healthcare didn't get passed and came down to the end and we were one vote short. And we were one vote short, 20 hours into the last seconds of tax reform. We finally got Rubio to change this vote because we upped the tax credits there. We did that because we had to go find some money elsewhere and it came right down to the last second. And, you know, 
we got it to the president's desk like he wanted before New Year's Eve, and uh, we got it to him a couple of days before that. He signed it a day before New Year's Eve, and you know it was a uh, uh, a great journey, and Good. I think we've seen the benefits. Yeah, and yeah. and so um, you had to spend a lot of time away from your business, I'm sure, um, to to be involved in something like that. How how do you balance the time? For you know, not just that—that's an uh, important sort of a policy piece for the country. Also, things you do philanthropically, and also just making sure you're staying on top of your of your of your company. I think that what I learned being in D.C. was, yeah, I was away from my company, but the people I met there—the unintended consequence for me was I met amazing people that are friends and became clients, and people I would have never met, clients I would have never had. So it really opened the door for us to uh, have relationships with people we wouldn't have relationships with from a business and professional standpoint. So, yeah, I think that was the the very fortunate unintended consequence. And good, you know, yeah, I think that's important. Well. You see, you can see that in in all sorts of levels. You know, maybe not at the highest levels like you're working there, but but also uh, anything we all do, the way we can be more civically engaged in our community, um, we're doing it maybe for a public good. Um, but sometimes they have these other great benefits that come back to, to help us and maybe help our, uh, what we do in our work. Uh, speaking of work, Julio, um, this is a question um, that I ask a lot of people on um, this uh, podcast, especially the last 20 episodes or so. Um, I had read about a, year, a little over a year ago uh, a book by Senator Ben Sass called The Vanishing American Adult. And the book was actually not political, even though he's a senator. Um, but one of the things he said that he likes to ask people when he first meets them is, have they ever been struck by lightning? No, no, <laughs> that was close. Uh, but uh, we are inside here. But, um, but boy, that's a, that's a storm. Well, one of the things Ben Sass likes to ask people is, what was your first job? He says it tells him a lot about people when he meets them. Um, and so I thought, being that this is a podcast with entrepreneurs, um, I would like to ask you what what was your first job? And if you had any takeaways or things you may still be doing today or learn from it. Oh, my gosh. Well, listen. And it could be anything. No, no. My first job was what most people, well, a lot of people probably was first job was, was working at McDonald's, $3 an hour and uh, raised after 90 days to 305. This was in Miami? uh, This was in Miami. And uh, so, you know, put on the polyester and go cook burgers and, you know, and the acne that came with it and you know not, not a lot of dates for that but um you know paid the car insurance and gas and uh so that was my first entree into, about how into old business. were you then well you know i think yeah i had to be 15 or 16 yeah you know, whatever was legal i'm not sure but uh what, yeah, did, you, was, what did you do at mcdonald's <laughs> did you flip burgers i flipped burgers i cooked fries i made those apple pies that are so darn good and uh, I, I do miss those apple pies. I haven't been to McDonald's in a while. It's good, right? Yeah. So I don't know good. what they do. I feel like there's something going on there. You know, and uh, and then you know, at night, spend two hours trying to get the grease off, and <laughs> uh, and live another day. Yeah, well, that's but it was great. wonderful. Listen, I'm it, grateful. Yeah, no, I think. Um, well, what types of things did you learn at McDonald's? Like that, you might. Are there any sort of like working traits that you learned, or any anything that you might. Uh, you, you may not realize until you think about it, but maybe maybe uh, those sorts of traits are around today. Well, you know, I think that, you know, working full-time and going to school is, you know, not easy. And uh, so I learned, 
how to manage my time and, you know, one, be able to work as much as I possibly could and uh, mix it in with school. So, you know, I never had that responsibility of juggling school and a job, but it was that time and, uh, you know, learned how to do it and, you know, I'm really proud that, you know, went through that experience because, you know, doing those things as we get into our late teens is a big responsibility and... You know, well, my, my freshman year of college, I was starting school at the University of Central Florida, and I didn't have a car that semester, and I had very limited options of how far I could go. And I, I spent those first few months working at a Taco Bell. So um, Listen, I think that would be better. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I, haven't, food, eaten, I haven't eaten very much Taco Bell since those days because I think <laughs> I consumed it all in those three or four months. Um, you know, when you're offered uh, that one of the great benefits was Sometimes you would get some free food. Sometimes it would at least be 50% off or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, I definitely gained the freshman 15. Um, uh, my mom thinks it was the beer, but I think it was at least It was that pinto and cheese thing <laughs> yeah. going on, yeah. yeah. I loved Those Mexican pizzas. That's what, know. You know, and, you, and you could make your own Mexican pizza, and you load it up with like so much cheese and everything. That's what did it for me. That's awesome. Yeah. But, but I, I, you know, I ran that drive-thru, like, like, it was, like, if you would want to come through my drive-thru, because you got through there fast. Let me tell you, I ran really? that thing. <laughs> um, and sometimes I would run it, we were open till 3 in the morning, and uh, so we'd ha- I'd actually be on the shift till 4, because you're cleaning up after. And I would always have to do at least one, this was on Friday and Saturday night, so I'd always have to do either a Friday night or a Saturday night. And I was within about two miles from University of Central Florida, and all those kids coming home from the parties, they want that Taco Bell. So <laughs> it was uh, it was just an interesting experience too. So to, to see all that, I love um, my experience as well. Yeah. Well, um, Julio, uh, one of the last que- questions I want to have for you um, is uh, given all of your kind of um, experience so far in the entrepreneurial world, um, what advice might you have to other people? I know you you through the Entrepreneurs Frontier, you give a lot of advice. You have other people come through, and you've seen a lot of. Uh, stories of people. What's some of the main things that you like to convey to, to others um, that are starting their journey or, or on their journey on, in the entrepreneurial experience? Yeah, enjoy the risk. I mean, a lot of people... Enjoy the risk? Well, people are afraid to take that first step. And uh, I tell them that, you know, once you take that first step and invest in yourself, because that's what it really is about, that it'll be an amazing, amazing ride and that, you know, you'll learn a lot about yourself and you'll learn a lot about you know other people and you know there's no better ride than the ride that you create on your own and uh so i tell them to take that risk and to take that chance good i encourage that well let me ask you um i said that was my last question but you know sometimes i get a follow-up uh this isn't 60 minutes uh but, but uh what was the last uh question or I mean what was the um, when you, you that last question where you talked about taking the risk what are some have you were there any experiences you had uh, somewhere between McDonald's and engineered tax services where you took some risks that maybe um, maybe you didn't find success right away and, and uh, maybe there were some challenges do you have any challenges that you might have encountered I, I think um, you know when I when I started the company, I just didn't have a lot of cash. And so, you know, I was desperate for that first client and uh, knew that I had a few months to get that client and get it going. And so, you know, I would say that 
you know, if we had some other advice, it's you know, ha- build up some savings and, mm-hmm. you know, give yourself a cushion to kind of get started and get that first client in place. And, you know, because that's, that's the difficult part is that first year of just lasting. And I think once you can get past that lasting period, uh, then you have a real opportunity for success. Well, great. Well, this has been a really fantastic, Julio. Um, thank you so much for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast, um, especially uh, through this storm uh, that we've uh, we've seen here. Um, your windows are giving us just a bit, this magnificent view um, and the pouring rain that maybe our listeners can hear um, uh, on this podcast. But um, I'll just give you the last word to close it out. Well, the last word is, first of all, I appreciate you coming here and I appreciate you basically doing this podcast to get the uh, information out to other because it's an education process and to the fact that an audience can get this information that you share out there is really important so I appreciate what you're doing and keep it up because uh, you know it, if it touches one person one podcast then I think you've done a great thing well, thank you so much, and uh, we just are inspired by, by innovators like you, Julio. So thanks so much and uh, for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you.